good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and how you're listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast a part of your day. I'm Ladarius, and just like Jason Derulo, I'm riding solo. For this episode, at least, uh, Chris is off. He's busy. And also, happy birthday to Chris as well. He's getting to be an old man. Well, we're all getting old, but happy birthday to Chris and enjoy his day. And I hope all of you are well today. A lot to cover in this episode. This episode, I'm going to give my AFC and NFC East division predictions. And before we get started, I caught a lot of flack, as you heard in last week's episode. And thank you guys so much for listening. It truly means the world to me and Chris for listening. For saying that the Detroit Lions are a playoff team. And once again, I stand by and I defend that because the one thing about football, I think we can undervalue certain teams just because we overvalue. And I think a healthy Matt Stafford, and I can't reemphasize this enough, a healthy Matt Stafford, given the fact that look at what they've added, they went into the draft and listen, and got another running mate in the backfield. And and they got Kenny Galladay. So there's talent on this line. See, listen, Jeff Okuda could potentially end up being better than Darius Slay, which they traded and got picks for. So I think we undervalue the Lions because it's Matt Patricia, the history of the Lions. And I, I stand by that. And as you find in a few minutes, there's a team in here where I'm all in on while some teams, some folks may not be, and I'm a team that I think I've checked out on, I think most people have, and then you'll get somewhere, quite frankly, I think, you know, a team that I think has checked out that some of you may not think has checked out, but we'll get to all of that, but, but with that, I just want to talk about, before we get started to this, the football, and we'll get there, trust me. But it, it was a very packed, packed sports weekend, watching a lot of NBA basketball. And these playoffs are very interesting and a lot of takeaways. A, you know, off the top of my head, listen, the, the Philadelphia 76ers are a disaster. And, and I'll write a piece on that. It'll be for this, for this week's uh, podcast uh, article. And as far as the articles go, every two weeks, you know, starting starting this week and after every two weeks. But this week's particular article, I do want to talk about my personal thoughts on why the Sixers should just rebuild and why they should trade one of their stars. I'm not going to tell you who. If you follow me on Twitter, at Ladarius underscore Brown, you'll know which one I want to trade. But I just, that's the takeaway I got from the East. How great the Heat are playing. And look, the Celtics, it's going to be an interesting East. I don't think it's a lock for the Bucks. I said that early on. I don't think it's a lock. And I think the Lakers have figured it out on the West. Hopefully, you know, hopefully Damian Lillard getting injured. And I think playoff LeBron is starting to come into mode. And that's it. And listen, the Clippers and Mavs series. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not one to go all in on certain players. But Luka Doncic, folks, that guy's going to be an MVP in three years. I'm not saying now that, listen, he made a big shot and maybe he kind of, and like if you you talk to certain, you know, analysts, like, oh, he didn't make shots when it mattered, but he made the shot that mattered. He made, that made all the shots, but he made the one that mattered to win them the game. And hopefully we get a, a better effort of Paul George. Kawhi's Kawhi, that series is interesting. And listen, that Utah-Denver series might be the best series that nobody is talking about, but should. Jamal Murray for the Nuggets. Donovan Mitchell, you know, putting up 50 points plus. Great performances. That's gonna That series has potential to go seven. Because if you look at it on paper, they're pretty even. I think they got stars, you know, you got, you got a great guard and a great big man. 
it, it, it's pretty, it's kind of, you know, even the coaching, it, even the way, the job that Quinn Snyder has done in Utah and what Mike Malone has done for Denver. So, it, everything's pretty even with that series. So, and as far as baseball goes, I think it's interesting that, you know, Chris went back, talked about the Braves. They're doing great things. And folks, same thing, you know, I said with the Padres and even the A's. I say, you know, there's a lot of great sports is in the mood. And I made my points clear about college football. I don't want to beat that horse to death. But with that being said, speaking of things getting beaten, I, I want to talk about the NFC East and how how this division feels beaten. And here's what I mean. It feels beaten from the fact that it's like you're being into the fact that there's only really two good teams in this division. And I think we have to be honest on that. And let's be clear. And I'll just come out the gate and say it. Listen, you know, and I'll talk to them more in depth, you know, shortly. But the Giants and Washington, they're rebuilding new coaches. And even for Washington, you know, they're off season you know, with the name change is one thing, but on the field, look, it, it, I'll get to it when I get to it, but I, I'm, I'm going to go, listen, talk about the Cowboys and the Eagles. The one thing about Cowboys fans is that I have nothing against them. I have friends who are Cowboys fans. Don't get me wrong, but the one thing that makes the Cowboys I don't want to use the word hateful because I'm like I don't use the word hate in my vernacular. So I try not to. But the despising of the Dallas Cowboys comes from unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. It's you're it's like coming out of college and expecting to walk in the door to be an executive. It's essentially when you get hired and you're expecting to get paid more than your boss. Unrealistic expectations. It happens in relationships where you want this person to be this, but they're really that. And and you have to be realistic because when you're not realistic, you, you kind of fade into fairy tale land. And that's the Dallas Cowboys for the last, you could argue the last 20 years where all I hear is that they're talented, they're a Super Bowl team. And they go eight and eight, nine and seven, you know, even 10 and six. And do I think getting rid of Jason Garrett helped? Yeah, it did. Because Jason Garrett was one of the problems. But the one problem that I feel you just can't get rid of is Jerry Jones's unrealistic expectations. Now, look, and I'll be clear, and I've, I, th- I personally think. That Dak Prescott is not the best quarterback in this division. It's Carson Wentz. And then I get so much flack from people. I said, think about it, folks. I said, before Wentz got hurt, he was having an MVP-like season. And he was working with less. This man, it was him, Zach Ertz. It was basically like MacGyver working with a paperclip and a string to try to get out of a situation. Or MacGruber, for those who watch SNL. Same concept. That's what he was working with. While Dak had an embarrassment of riches, he goes 8-8. Eight and, eight. and Philly beat Dallas the last week of the season, last year. That's why I feel what I feel. And this is why I said Dak wants Russell Wilson money. It took three contracts to get Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson money. And listen, and I've said this on previous episodes. In fact, I dedicated an episode to talk about Dak Prescott. And check that out if you like and subscribe to the podcast where I talked about Dak Prescott. And I said, as a guy who loves quarterbacks, I I noticed something and it was a very, very interesting trend. Look, the number of passes he throws in the games, it makes a difference. The Dallas Cowboys are 23 and 5. So basically they're they win 82% of their games when Dak throws the ball less than 30 passing attempts. 
more than that, he's a 500 guy. He goes 21 and 20. So he's about 51% winning percentage there when he throws above that. Now, you're asking Ladarius why you're bringing that up. Because they hired Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy worked with Aaron Rodgers. And no matter how it turned out in the end, Mike McCarthy's run was very, very good. But when you look at the last three seasons of McCarthy and Rodgers, now, Aaron Rodgers was 11-5 when he threw the ball less than 30 times. So that was he was almost a 69% winning percentage. Now, when he threw it less, he's coming around 58%. He was 25, 18, and 1. So as you can do, Darius, what's your point? My point has always been that Mike McCarthy, just for, for the basis of perspective, Mike McCarthy is the type of guy, he, listen, he didn't have a run game. He didn't have a run game in Green Bay for a while. Listen, Mike McCarthy spent 13 seasons in Green Bay. Five times he's had a 1,000-yard rusher. In perspective, the Dallas Cowboys had seven the last 13 seasons. Zeke, two of the last three years. And my point has always been, just hand the ball off to Zeke. Let Dak flourish with the play action pass and people thought it was it, it Jason Garrett was basically forcing Dak Prescott to win football games when in most cases he didn't how do I know that because they went eight and eight and I felt similar to what McCarthy and Rogers did I said notice that it may not have been the same amount the sample size but the point remains the same, that both Rodgers and and Dak were, you know, winning over 60, you know, almost over 69% of their games when they threw the ball less. But yet they were winning about 50%, close to under 60%, essentially when they were throwing the ball more. And... And I talked about Aaron Rodgers last week, and I think that's the route they're going in Green Bay is to run the ball more because, listen, you have to have a balanced. Listen, everybody you everybody cannot be Kansas City. Everybody can't be Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. Listen, they drafted a running back, Hilaire, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU in the first round. So they understand that they got to run the ball more. I said, you have to have, you know, a thousand yard rushing. It may not have the same impact it did maybe 10, 15 years ago, but that doesn't mitigate the fact that you do need a running back. And, and you hiring Mike McCarthy, to me, with that being said, I hope Mike McCarthy this time figures out because that was the best hire. I never thought Jerry would hire a guy who actually knows football. No disrespect to, you know, Jason Garrett, but... You know, he found Mike McCarthy knows football. And, and another team we're going to talk about passed on him. A team I talked about last week, the Cleveland Browns passed on him. You saw what happened with Freddie Kitchens, essentially a high school gym teacher. You saw what happened there. Coaching matters. And I think in this division, you know, Washington got the best coach in Ron Rivera, who diagnosed with cancer, and, you know, prayers for him and his family. And. And it's a very interesting division from the perspective of can the Dallas Cowboys get to that next level? Because Jason Garrett couldn't get these boys to the next level. And here's the thing with Dallas. Listen, they lost Gerald McCoy. They lost a piece on that defensive line. But, you know, they went on and got Everson Griffin. And they got Demarcus Lawrence. There's Leighton Van Der Esch. There's talent on this defense. And Mike Nolan coming in. Good defensive mind. Now, how do you work these pieces? Because the defense was never the problem in Dallas. It's the offense. And people felt that, you know, listen, Jason, listen, I, I blame a whole host of people. 
you know, Dak, then Jason Garrett. But the one complaint you're not going to hear from folks is what, that the defense was bad because they were very, 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 very good. They were very, 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 very good. And then they went out and drafted, you know, one of the, you know, the good running, the great running backs in this draft, C.D. Lamb. And here's the thing. Speaking of people I trust, I trust C.D. Lamb hasn't played a down. I trust DeMarcus Lawrence. I trust Zeke. I trust Amari Cooper. I trust Van Der Esch. I trust the offensive line. But notice, I don't trust Dak. In a quarterback-driven league, if I don't have... Listen, I'm not knocking the fact. Listen, he's won just as many games as Russell Wilson did the last three seasons. I'm taking nothing away, nothing away from Dak Prescott. Because Cowboy fans have to be realistic. Dak Prescott makes smart throws. That's not the deep, but he makes smart throws. But when the moment becomes big, he shrinks. When he has to throw those passes down the field, he plays less. How do I know that? Because they're 21 and 20 in the game that he, that he throws 30 or more passes. That lets me know deeper into the game, and they need a big play, Dak's not your guy. And and the numbers is one of those things that when they say numbers never lie, you could get fooled by the fact that, listen, he's won a lot of games. He's, you know, 4,000 yards passing. But what the numbers aren't telling you, he loses those games when he throws the ball more. Is that it's, a, it's basically like a pitcher pitching deep into the game. At some point, the pitcher's going to wear down. It's not a matter of if, but when. And good pitchers could could go a full nine innings. But listen, how much do you get out of it? And if you think of it this way, Zeke is kind of like the bullpen helper. Zeke's the closer. But they don't use the closer. And when you when I look at them, I go, that's that's the problem. They don't use Zeke. I said you drafted him and you and you're paying him. Everybody's got paid on this team pretty much except for Dak Prescott. Use him. You don't let you don't let a car you don't let a sports car sit in a garage and let it get rusty because at some point it may not be useful and practical. Use Zeke. And listen, the, to me, I have him going ten and six. You know, I haven't winning two more games than last year because look, they gotta play. Look, let me just read you some of the games that they have to play. I'm going to read four. They have to go to Seattle week three. They got to go to Philly week eight. They got to go to Baltimore week 13. And they got San Francisco at home week 15. They got to hope and pray that San Francisco wraps up the division by week 15 and Kyle Shanahan you know, pulls out, but it's week 15, so I highly doubt that'd be the scenario. That's, to me, they're four toughest games. And then you throw in the fact that, hey, they got to play, listen, they got to play my Falcons. Listen, that's not always a, a easy win. Look, I just believe, and I'm under the belief, that the Dallas Cowboys are the second best team. All I keep hearing is that, listen, if, even if you look at it from perspective, the better coach. Doug Peterson's a better coach than Mike McCarthy. And people are like, oh, you're going to boo. Look how Doug Peterson prepped Nick Foles. Doug Peterson prepped Nick Foles when Carson Wentz, did, Carson Wentz went down. The show wasn't over. The wheels didn't fall off. He essentially prepared Foles to be the guy. And they won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. Doug Peterson gets these teams prepared. Look, they went out and got Javon Hargrave. 14 and a half career sacks for out of formerly of the Steelers. The Eagles defense was kind of middle. They were 13th in the league. They had 43 sacks. But, you know, listen, this Eagles defense is very good. Listen, they, they only allowed 61% completion range from quarterbacks. That's fifth best. That was fifth best in the league. 
The reason why they went out and got Darius Slay, they gave up a lot of touchdowns. 27, that's 22nd. It's not a whole lot, but it's still when you're when your offense is getting revved up, you know, you need your defense to kind of help pick up the pieces. So they went and got Darius Slay. And Darius Slay allowed nine touchdowns the last two seasons. He has 19 career interceptions. So they went out, made the move to get a, you know, probably a lockdown corner they desperately needed. And it works out there. Look, Wentz is better than Dak. I keep emphasizing that. At some point, I may make a video on our new YouTube channel to explain why. Because I don't want to take up the time, because I could go, that to me is like a half an hour explaining why. And going into detail by detail, but I won't take up your time with that. But here's the thing. Doug Peterson is 16-8 versus the NFC East. The only team he struggled against is Dallas. He's 3-5 against Dallas. Everybody else, listen, he's 15-3. He's 15-3 against the Giants and Washington. And, and Dallas now, listen, I, listen, Dallas to me is a, and people may not like it, listen, Dallas to me, like I said, it's a 10-6 team. Philly can win 12 games. Because they're basically playing the same, they're playing the same opponents. But here's the thing. Here's here's the Eagles. Here, here's the Eagles' toughest games. In my opinion. They gotta go at San Francisco. And they got Baltimore at home. Then they got Seattle at home. Then they gotta go. Then they got New Orleans at home. And then they got Dallas. The Second to last week of the season in Jerry World. That's a tougher schedule than what Dallas has. Because here's the thing they're getting them in the stadium. Listen, they got to go to Seattle. They got to go to Seattle. And that makes a difference. That makes a huge difference. So once again, I have the Eagles 12 and 4 and the Cowboys 10 and 6. But as for the Giants, look. I, I made my points clear that I felt that, ironically enough, you know, Dwayne Haskins on Washington and Daniel Jones is a giant. I always felt that Dwayne Haskins was going to be the better quarterback prospect between the two because I've always said, outside of Matt Ryan, you have to be at least a 60% completion, you know, to, you know, to make it in the NFL. Now, it's even higher, maybe even 65 in some cases. Daniel Jones could barely got that. Dwayne Haskins was super accurate at Ohio State. And I understand that oh, it may not translate over. No, it, it does. Talent translates. And I felt that, listen, replacing Eli Manning is essentially like being the guy who replaced... Think of it this way. I love late-night television. It's like when Leno... Replace Carson. Like, here's the thing. Leno is not Carson in the same way that Daniel Jones is not like Eli Manning. But at some point, you have to turn the page and embrace embrace the new guy. And I think essentially that's the situation for the New York Giants is you have to embrace Daniel Jones. And listen, they got a new coach in Joe, Joe Judge. Special teams coach, so they want that kind of John Harbaugh magic that they have in Baltimore. And listen, the biggest question mark is, can he bounce back? Can Daniel Jones bounce back? This man had 18 fumbles in 13 games. Listen, he was 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Listen, the man threw over 3,000 yards. There's potentially Daniel Jones, but... Outside of Saquon Barkley, it gets really, really, really dicey. Think about this. You know, their best receiver to me, you know, they got Sterling Shepard and listen, Darius Slayton. You know, listen, he had 740 yards and 48 receptions, eight touchdowns. And they really didn't do anything to address it in their draft. Like they drafted, you know, listen, they went offensive line. Listen, I'm not going to argue the point there. They got offensive line. 
But go to the other side of the ball. That defense is that defense is down. And they traded for Leonard Williams. And listen, they let Landon Collins leave the building. They let a lot a lot of talent left, whether by trade or free agency. And they just walked out the door. And listen, this is Joe Judge's the third head coach since 16. McAdoo, Shermer, and now Judge. And in that time, 23 and 41. This was this was this is post Coughlin. And I'm not saying that maybe, you know, Todd Coughlin should have stayed. No, I understand why. It it, it felt reminiscent of when Florida stayed. I'm not saying because I'm a Gator fan. But it felt very reminiscent of that when they got rid of him, you know, because you you had to put the other guy. You wanted to move on. But the difference is, is that Florida State kind of recovered because it's college and, you you know, you get the talent, you can recover. The NFL, look, it was relatively the same dudes and 23 and 41. And people say, well, they got an aging Eli Manning. Well, you, you don't think Tom Coughlin dealt with that the last two years of his tenure? And and then Eli Manning got progressively worse at the end. Listen, Eli Manning still had an arm, but like I I read somewhere and I and you know and see is that listen, one you listen, your arm will be the last thing to go. You know, your legs will go, you know. Eli Manning could still throw, but his mobility was always average, and then when his knees went out, then that was a wrap. It's like essentially, listen, it's one thing if your car, listen, your car could run on a on a donut until at some point till the donut goes flat on like a tire. At some point, that was Eli Manning. They were running on a donut. The Giants offense wasn't him at quarterback. And when Eli Manning just capped out, everybody saw it and he got sat down. And for good. So... I'm not blaming, you know, the coaches. To me, Dave Gettleman's the common thread. Because while it was smart to draft, you know, you know, Saquon Barkley, and like, listen, defensively, there was nothing addressed. He let the defense go by the wayside, and now you're stuck bringing your third coach, you know, in four years, essentially. And... And at some point, I just look at the, I looked at the roster and I went, I don't see a lot of positives. And listen, I got them going 2-14. and 14. People are like, oh, the Giants are better. Listen, folks. Listen. Listen, they got to play Sam. So here's the thing. They got to play Tampa. And, of course, they got to go at Baltimore. They got to go at Seattle. Listen, I only have them winning two. I think they could beat the Rams on the road, and I think they could beat Washington. Like, literally. If you look at the construct of their roster, listen, I would also, listen, I think they can beat, I think Cincinnati could beat them. But at least with Cincinnati, they have a better off, at least they got an A.J. Green. They got T. Higgins. There's a remnant of offense there. It may be a shootout because the defenses are, you know, are just, Mediocre and abhorrent, but I think the, the Bengals are a better team. I just think that listen, the Joe Judge thing. Listen, I you know I ragged the move because listen, he's not even the most popular judge in New York. It's Aaron Judge, and, and maybe uh, the judge, uh, judge, you know, the People's Court, Mary Miliana. Thank you. Like he's not he's not even the most popular judge in New York. Like, nobody knows who this man is. His resume, we worked on the Belichick. Historically, listen, it hasn't worked out, but listen. Now, we'll talk about the, you know, we'll talk about the other in the AFCE shortly about a coach there. It might work out there. But historically, you know, Belichick disciples don't work out. And they passed on a lot of guys. They went and got Joe Judge, and that's fine. Joe Judge is tasked with fixing Daniel Jones sustaining Saquon Barkley and fixing the defense and basically putting life back into the city. I mean, he has to do all of that. My point is that, you know, a new coach in the big market, it's interesting. Speaking of new coaches, listen, 
They mentioned him with Ron Rivera. What I like about Ron Rivera, you know, he took a Carolina franchise. And let's put this in perspective. You know, they, they weren't garbage. But he took that team to a Super Bowl of a great defense. He had a very good Cam Newton, had an MVP year. And it goes to the theory that you don't have to be an offensive coach to have a good, you know, to work with a quarterback. You hire great offensive minds. And it's, it's basically simply this. It's like when you're the president, he or she should not be the smartest person in the room. You hire people smarter than you because you don't know everything. Ron Rivera knew football. He may have known quarterbacks, but he knew football. But he got an offensive guy to help him with the schemes and the strategy. Good coaching can can span across both sides of the football. I mean, look at John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh kind of leaned it offensive, but the defense is fantastic. It's just a matter of good coaching. And I think the Washington, you know, I think Washington, it's interesting because listen, I got them going two and fourteen. I think there's a lot of question marks there. A lot of question marks there. Listen, they got Chase Young, who arguably probably the best defensive line player to come out in some time out of Ohio State. Listen, could they be tanking for Trevor? Because, listen, I don't buy the theory that the other team I'm going to talk about, like the Patriots, and I'll explain why I feel that way. And it has nothing to do with Cam Newton. But I don't think they will, you know, I, I think Washington's tanking. Ron Rivera understands, listen, this team is a three- to four-year project. It's like the my it's that's why I like talking. It's very it, it parallels one another. Because there's a lot of projects going on. And I think this Washington organization is a three to four year project. Because you have to figure out is Haskins your quarterback, Kyle Allen your quarterback? Who's your quarterback? Because if neither one is, I think my my gut says that. Washington would probably go with Haskins week one. But if Haskins struggles, because listen, there's no preseason, so there was no extra, you know, there was no live snap, you know, against competition, you know, to, you know, with the playbook, it's all there in, in training camp. So they lean, I, they would lean toward Haskins because he, I want to say has experience, but he's been there. And, but Kyle Allen's interesting too, because listen, Listen, Robert Bear, listen, had Carolina ties, so he may go that route. And I think if they can't figure the position there quarterback-wise, it's going to go south really fast. Because, listen, the defense is not the problem. They got Jonathan Allen on defense, Ryan Kerrigan, you know, John Bostic, Gator. Mont- listen, Montez Sweat of Mississippi State, year two, good, that's talent. So it's not a complete disaster. It's just that the quarterback situation is so bad. And I think everything is just bad there. And this, I listen. All of these are like plus or minus a game, so they could easily be three and thirteen. Same thing with with the with the Giants. But I just look at the Washington organization and go, listen. I think they're the ones tanking for Trevor. Everyone's thinking, oh, it's it's oh, New England is. No, it's not. So you know, to recap the NFC East. I think the Eagles win at 12 and 4. Second is Dallas, 10 and 6. And I think Washington and the Giants go 2 and 14. I think that's always a two team division because, like I say, and it hinges on a healthy Carson Wentz. Because if Carson Wentz remains healthy, which I believe he has, and I believe he will, that's a dangerous team. And that's a very dangerous team. Listen, they won a Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. So imagine having a healthy Carson Wentz. I don't count out the Eagles because I don't count out Doug Peterson. I think he's one of the best coaches, not only just in that division, but he's probably one of, to me, he's probably a top five coach in this league already because of the way he prepares, the way that he plays, the way that he attacks things. To me, look at just look at how he, look at the work he did with Carson Wentz. Like we're all ready to write up Carson. Look, listen, he can let the gate MVP season until he gets hurt. Speaking of MVPs, the AFC East looks very, very different because the former MVP, Tom Brady, is no longer there. 
a former Super Bowl or an NFL MVP is no longer there. He's down. Like LeBron, he took his talent south. You know, like LeBron did once upon a time. So the East feels more open. It feels like this is Buffalo's division. So let's talk about Buffalo for a minute. I look at Buffalo and I just think, look, they went and they added Josh Josh Norman, who listen didn't work out in the end in Washington. They went on and, and got Stephen Diggs, which it's it's a very good move and I'll explain why. And listen, they drafted AJ Espinessa and they got Zach Moss. They drafted, you know, Gabe Davis from UCF. They had a very, very good draft. And listen, the Ed Oliver pick is working out very, very well. So here's the thing with with Buffalo. The last time they won the AFC East was nineteen ninety five. You know what happened in nineteen ninety five? Michael Jordan came back. He said, you know, the baseball thing wasn't great. He came back. They won a championship. You know, Toy Story was came out. Folks, up on this perspective, I was seven years old the last time this team won this division. If if you're smart at math, you'll know how old I am. And if you figure that out, then you know, good for you. Calculator, your real calculator. You know, use a calculator. But listen, to me, it ride or dies on Josh Allen. And the thing with Josh Allen is, listen, I'm hard on quarterbacks. I love quarterbacks. He only threw 58, you know, it was like 59% last season. He didn't even get 60. But here's the real staggering number. His passer rating, you know, 20 yards or more. It averaged 57.9. 57.9. And my concern is, while I love Sean McDermott and I love this defense, super loaded in, on, in the backfield, running back. So Josh Allen is not going to be alone in that respect. You got Stephen Diggs. You got John Brown. There's talent. My question, can Josh Allen get these guys the ball? Because to me, that's how they're going to win this division. Because I know how great their defense is. I expect the defense to be top five again this year. But I need Josh Allen to, A, throw at least 60%. 65 would be great. Because if you get Stephen Diggs the ball, that's a 1,000-yard receiver. John Brown's a 1,000-yard receiver. You know, Buffalo went out and got Josh Allen talent. So it's it's not that out of the realm of possibility. If Josh Allen, he has a very good arm. He has a big arm. And it works in that Buffalo wind. He's got two great receivers. And listen, can he get the ball to them? That's to me is the question. I look at I look at how deep they are and they added talent. They were good at receiving, they got better. On defense, you know, Tredavious, you know, Tredavious White. You know, no, we'll add Josh Allen. You know, excuse me, excuse me, we'll add Josh Norman. Who was the number one corner in this league? And he may be a number two corner now. So I think Buffalo has an opportunity to win this division, and I got them going 12-4. and four. And listen, Buffalo, you know, they're tied for the fifth toughest schedule. But if you look at some of these games, here's why I think I got them going 12-4. and four. Here's the thing. I think they got to go at Tennessee. Listen, they got to go at San Francisco. They got to go at Denver. And listen, those are tough games. 
Those are very, very tough games. You need a good defense. And at home, I think they can beat New England twice this year. Spoiler. Because New England lost eight guys. Let's face the reality. I think Buffalo is good enough to win this division. Because, listen, at some point, all good things must come to an end. And I think Buffalo has a chance to take this division and dominate it for the next decade. If Josh Allen is the quarterback that most people think he could be, they can dominate for a decade. They extended Sean McDermott. They believe Sean McDermott will be there, but will Josh Allen be there? Because that, to me, when I look at up and down this roster, it's very hard to find a flaw. And I think it's Josh Allen. Because, listen, if he can get the ball down the field, matriculate the ball down the field, like Vince Lombardi would say, to, to John Brown and to Stephen Diggs, boy, it's going to be a very good division. And, speak, listen, speaking of good division, this division's been good. New England has made it look easy. Here's the thing with New England. They went and got Cam Newton. This was Cam Newton. He didn't play that much. 2019. 2018. So two years ago, he threw the ball almost 68%. 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 3,395 yards passing. How did that happen? Because Norv Turner. And when you, Norv, this is what I talked about earlier. Ron Rivera is a great coach. But if you get a great, great offensive mind in the way, in the, not saying like a Bill Walsh type, you get a good offensive mind to work with quarterbacks. Norv Turner is your guy, and he turned around his career. He, I could argue, turned around Cam Newton's career. Because my biggest knock on Cam Newton was this man can't complete the football. But when he started to complete the football more, Cam Newton is dangerous. And now he goes in a situation where he's surrounded by, you know, better talent. Like, if you get a healthy Nikhil Harry, you got Muhammad Sanu. Like, there's talent on this football team. And I think Cam Newton should be the guy week one. I don't think it really should be a competition. But, you know, if you have to do the formality and go through it, then, then fine. But also, here's the thing. Eight players opted out for this organization. They lost their right tackle, Marcus Cannon, and their all-pro safety, Patrick Chung. You know, listen, if these were eight guys, like backup guys, I wouldn't be concerned. I would think New England could win this division. But listen, losing your starting right tackle, and then you lose you know, your all-pro safety, that matters. Listen, they still have Devin McCourty. They still got Stephen Gilmore. They're still talent on that, on that defensive side of the ball. Offensively, losing Marcus Cannon may be a bigger deal than what most people should make it a big deal. It's a big deal. And losing, listen, eight players is significant. So how is can the defense play consistent without Patrick Chung, the anchor of that, that secondary? Can they play well? And listen, they've won this division 11 straight years. Bill Belichick, as long as Bill Belichick is the coach of this team, here's a great stat. They've placed first or second in the AFC since 2001. The only year that they weren't number, you know, one or two was this was his very first year. I believe they went like five and eleven. Like in 2000. Also, listen, he's 93 and 31. He went 75% of the game in his career versus the AFC East. So since two, since he showed up, he's if you give him four games against this, he's gonna win three of them. That's a lock. Just like there's six games now, he's gonna win seventy five percent of those. He's gonna win at least four of those games. He's gonna go at least four and two every year in the AFC. He may drop a game to like Miami. May drop a game to Buffalo. He may drop, but for the most part, dominance. And I've said it on this show that while people want to give a whole lot of credit to 
to Tom Brady. Listen, coaching matters. Like you just, I, I, I don't understand it with people. Is that how do I know that? Remember when Tom Brady got hurt, and we all thought, and you could hear like the big sobering cry from the north. If you're down south like I am, you heard like all the all that rain we got. Like those were tears coming from the north when Tom Brady went out the first week of the, the first one of the first plays of the season when he got hurt with his ankle, his leg injury. And Matt Castle, a guy you had to go down your scorecard and figure out who he was, they went eleven and five. Without Tom Brady. That's why I said. Give Belichick some credit. He he won. He may have won the Super Bowl without Tom Brady. But he can win football games without Tom Brady. And I say that's important to understand. Is that he can win football games. Without Tom Brady. And I get how great Tom Brady is. And we'll talk about Tom Brady. Somewhere down the road. But, but it speaks to the bigger point is, is that Bill Belichick's a very good football coach. But losing losing eight players is something that I can't ignore and a lot of people just can't ignore. So I have them going, they're a 9-7 football team. I think they finished second. I think, listen, if they had Patrick Chung and they had Marcus Cannon, I would argue they I'd have him as a 10-11 because Cam Newton can't do it on his own. At some point, he that defense, they're going to miss Patrick Chung. And at some point, they're going to miss Marcus Cannon on that line. So, speaking of things that's missing, for the New York Jets, and, you know, hopefully Chris will listen to this episode, I don't hate the New York Jets. My problem with the New York Jets has always been this. It's always come down to management. I don't care how great of talent you have. If you don't have a good leader to direct the talent, it's going to be wasted. And that's what I feel is going on in the Meadowlands. I really do. At you hire Adam Gase, who was meh, average while at Miami. And you look at his defensive numbers at Miami, this man didn't have a top 20 offense. Oh, we'll hire him. Mike McCarthy, we don't want to win. Like It's like somebody said, do you want a million dollars or do you want what's in this box? The Jets took the box. It had like question marks on it, so it made it more mysterious. And in the box, you get Adam Gase, which the equivalent is the which is the equivalent of getting essentially a timeshare. Nobody wants a timeshare. That's the, you take the sure thing, you take the money. The sure thing, pay Mike McCarthy, pay him. Because you, experience matters. And I, and they can even hire Ron Rivera. Once again, it doesn't matter what side of the ball, coaching matters. Cam Newton, like I said, I keep being, beating this down. Cam Newton was, was successful under Ron Rivera, a great defensive coach. So as long as you have a great coach, no matter what side of the ball is their philosophy, there's always going to be talent that's going to just show. My problem with the Jets is that you're wasting Sam Darnold. You're tying Sam Darnold to Adam Gates. And that's awful. Like, I understood why you got rid of Todd Bowles. But I, I, I also argue, if you gave Todd Bowles a decent offensive coordinator, Todd Bowles will still have a job. He'd still be the coach of the New York Jets. Todd Bowles, that defense was fantastic. And, you know, even though Greg Williams has this defense playing, you know, well last season, I think you're wasting Sam Darnold. I thought I think Sam Darnold to me was the best quarterback coming out of the draft. In the same draft class as a Josh Allen and as Baker Mayfield. We don't have it to Josh Rosen. We don't need to revisit that. But the the problem I have with the Jets is simply 
you trade Jamal Adams, you get back a starter McDougal, and I understood why you traded Jamal Adams. I talked about it. I dedicated a whole segment to it. Like, listen, if you weren't going to sign him, get rid of him, and I get that. But the reality is, listen, this is the this is the wide receivers they have: Brashad Perriman, Jamison Crowder. They drafted Denzel Mims. They got they up, they upgrade the old line. They got Connor McGovern and and Greg Roten. But the reality is, is that look, no excuses from Le'Veon Bell. This is a no excuse season. You can win. Listen, I have them going. Listen, the two fourteen people are like, oh. You know why? They have the second toughest schedule. You know who has the toughest schedule? New England. And I have New England going 9-7. and seven. Why? Because the coaching is far better. It's basically... I, we, New England is like a... It's a very, very solid Microsoft stock. And the Jets are... It's 10. Like, you know, like, like a 10 can. That's that's the kind of market they have. Like that big apple there is rotten for the Jets. It's rotten. I'd rather eat avocado. Listen, I don't hate avocado. I don't like it either. But the point is, is that listen, that's why the gap is what it is. Cam Newton is better than Sam Darnold now. That team is is ran better. It's just the schedule. And. And to wrap up with speaking of talent, the Miami Dolphins are on the upside. Listen, they got Tua Tagovailoa. That's the franchise quarterback right there. That's your franchise. And you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick may not be there, but he'll be the starter week one. And at some point, you transition. And here's the thing: Miami went out and got two good running backs. They got Jordan Howard from Philly, and they got Matt Breida from San Francisco, who was statistically the fastest guy in the running back in the league. Here's the thing. Jordan Howard averaged 4.1 yards a game. Matt Breida, 5.1. You know, they couldn't run the ball last season in Miami. Now they can. Listen, they dropped a lot of passes. They dropped a lot of passes. They led the league and dropped passes. But they listen, they improved under Brian Flores, who's a, who's a very good defensive mind. They went out and got Brian, Brian, Byron Jones to go with Xavier Howard and Eric Rowe. They went out and got Shaq Larson, who had 16 and a half sacks in Buffalo. Emil Ogaba, who had 18 sacks in both Cleveland in his career at both Cleveland and Kansas City. Got Kyle Van Noy, who was with Brian Flores in New England, who had six and a half sacks in his career in New England. Miami got better. And that's why I say, why couldn't the Jets do anything like that? Like the the Jets have the quarterback, but yet it seems they squandered. Listen, it goes to management. That man, Chris Greer and Brian Ford. Listen, this is year two of the project. Tua will be the starter at some point this season. Give Tua, you know, listen the tools. I have Miami going six and ten. I don't necessarily believe. They're going to fall off the face of the earth. Because in the first round, they went and got Tua. They got Austin Howard, an offensive tackle. They got Noah Igu Ogle from Auburn at corner. They got better. They utilized their picks. They're going to get better. And I think they're on the upswing. Listen, they won a lot of close games. They won on a trick play with their special teams. It's very good, by the way. Brian Flores, Brian Flores is the right hire. And this is what I say, how much coaching matters. In this coaching division, you have Sean McDermott, Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, and Adam Gase. And you can easily say, this may upset Jet fans, you can easily say that the Jets have the fourth best coach, the fourth best ran organization, Maybe defensively, you can make a case. Maybe the third best defense. Miami's defense still, you know, the, we have to see how it works this year. But everything else, they're just blowing art and, and garbage. They're awful. And what I don't understand, 
And this is what upsets me. It's just that, you know, the Jets, I see people, they're going to win six, seven games. I'm like, what, the same thing Chris told me on my own drugs. Is the New York media on drugs? Are you not looking at this roster? Like, look, this dysfunction. Listen. My whole thing is that, honestly, Adam Gates may not make it through the season, and he shouldn't. He shouldn't have been hired. I don't know why, man, you would hire him. Because his resume showed you in Miami that, listen, let him be a coordinator for a little bit longer and let him get a second job. When you looked at the resume of Sean McDermott, Buffalo said he worked under Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera worked under Andy Reid. I'll leave it there. Like, it was written, like, Sean McDermott was qualified. Belichick, under parts, qualified. Who did Adam Gase work under? The circus? Seriously. I I, I don't want to go on this tangent here. Because I try to bring, you know, listen, it's upsetting. It's all I'm going to say is it's, it's upsetting that... The Jets, they deserve better than this. They have a great fan base. And I look at this AFC East. Look, Buffalo's 12 and 4. I have New England 9 and 7. Dolphins 6 and 10. 2 and 14. And by the way, the Dolphins played the third tough. Excuse me. Yeah, they played the third toughest schedule in the league. The AFC East played the toughest schedule of all the divisions and all the football. And I think the Jets, even with the second toughest, they're going to lose a lot of games. If I told you they play, here's their schedule. At Buffalo versus San Francisco. At Indy versus Denver and Arizona. At the Chargers versus Buffalo. At the Chiefs versus New England. At Miami. Bye week. Versus Miami. Versus the Raiders. At Seattle. At the Rams versus Cleveland. At New England. At worst, the Jets can steal a game. Can steal a game from Miami. And steal a game from the Raiders. Like, folks. It's not rocket science. It's to the point where... If you're not high on... If you if you really do believe that the Jets are better than two and fourteen, you're probably right. But I don't see them winning no more than two games. Because listen, the the receiving core is huh. And the best thing at Le'Veon Bell, I need to see something out of him. Sam Darnold, who I love, is in a situation where listen, his numbers aren't bad, but he's tied to Adam Gase. It's like a marriage he didn't agree to, like a shotgun wedding he didn't sign up for. He didn't. He couldn't ask for another coach. He got Adam Gase. He could have had Mike McCarthy. It would have made a world of difference. I don't want to say I'm beating up on the New York media, but I don't want to go into the Knicks. It's something about teams in New York and management. Like the, the best-run team in New York, and people, listen, it's the Yankees. You rag on them, but all the I could you if you can play by the Yankees, it's never about management. It's about maybe the players screwing up, but with the Knicks, with the Jets, even the Giants is management because there's talent, but ain't nobody utilizing it. There's no excuse in the world this year if the New York Jets cannot win more than six games. Adam Gase gotta go. People are like, oh, with the schedule, you have winning two games. Yeah, because that's how I feel. But in order to save Adam Gase's job, they pretty much got to win this division. And that, and that just, and that sort of, you know, predictability, that probability, is just as much as me wearing leotard and going on stage and performing in the Nutcracker. It ain't going to happen. Because nobody needs to see me in a leotard. Nobody. Nobody. But, but once again, those that's my AFC and NFC predictions. Next week, 
We're going to head south. And I got to talk about my Falcons. I know. I know. But we're going to talk about the AFC South, which I think is very interesting, and the NFC South. Two interesting divisions for two different reasons. That's why I love talking about them, you know, the AFC. I like talking about them in their, you know, North, East, South, and West because they're very interesting dynamics every year for both of them. And I think to kind of preview the AFC South, I think I think it comes down to, I think it's a two-team, maybe a third team, the dark horse, one team's out of it. And as for, you know, the NFC South, I truly do believe it's a two-team race, a third team that's, you know, should be there. And a team that's, listen, it's going to be better than what people think. And I have a team that who, who I have that's going to be worse than what pe- people think. So that's the little preview for the AFC and NFC South. But, you know, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening and also to stay in contact with the podcast. Stay connected with us. Go to Facebook.com slash Sports the World. Join our group. There is a poll question after every episode. It still comes in there every Wednesday. Also, go to our Instagram and Twitter. It's at Sports the World for both. Check out the content there. I'll be definitely posting more on there. I haven't. But I promise I will. Also, as I mentioned, go to our the article. It'll be every two weeks the article. This week's article is going to talk about why the Sixers should end the process. So go to Sports and the World website. So check that out. It's sportsintheworld1.wordpress.com. That's sportsintheworld1.wordpress.com. Check that out. We're going to be on SoundCloud. This episode, you're going to hear on SoundCloud as well as our previous episodes. So the this episode, the so the last two episodes will be on on SoundCloud, and we'll put them on there from this point on. And also check me out on my personal Instagram. It's at the Big Nerd seventy seven. I changed it from Cubby's fan. Don't ask me why. And also check me out on Twitter at Ladarius underscore Brown. And before we wrap up, I I want to say a few words uh, about a, a a mentor who you know who I think was the absolute best. His name was Commander Ron Bell, and and the reason why I talk about him is because I probably wouldn't be doing this if not for him. And I'll explain. He. He challenges. He challenged me to be the best version of me. He pushes you, and he pushed a lot of people, and and what what I loved about him was his personality. I, he was who he was, and you accepted him as who he was. And I, and you know, as an anecdote. I drink Arnold Palmer's because of him. We went out to lunch. This was years ago. And we went out to lunch. It was a barbecue place. I don't want to say the name of it because of sponsorship. If, if I get it, get them sponsored. But the point is, is that he ordered an Arnold Palmer. Like, you know what? I'll have one of those. Half lemonade, half iced tea. And to this day, I drink Arnold Palmer's. I looked up to him like a second father. I looked up to him as a not only just a mentor, but I like think he was a friend. And he's going to be missed, and I'm going to miss him. So a classmate of our, who, classmate of mine, we had class with him, had a song to dedicate to him, and that's what you'll hear at the end of this episode instead of the usual outro. So I hope you enjoy that. And until then, I'm Ladarius Brown, and for Chris, be real, be you, and be blessed from all of us here from the Sports and the World Podcast. Yesterday we
rock the show. I lace the track, you lock the flow. So far from hanging on the block for dough. Notorious, they got to know that. Life ain't always what it seemed to be. Words can't express what you mean to me. Even though you're gone, we still a team. Through your family, I fulfill your dreams. In the future, can't wait to see. If you open up the gates for me, reminisce sometime. The night they took my friend. Try to black it out, but it plays again. When it's real, feelings hard to conceal. Can't imagine all the pain I feel. Give anything to hear half your breath. I know you're still living your life after death.